Father, we thank you so much for today. Um, we pray, God, that you would plant hope into this church today, uh, plant wisdom into our hearts today. Remind us, Lord, about celebrating through the storms, but especially when you come through. Uh, we love that you love us, God, and we pray that you bless us with a profound sense of your presence this morning for every person that made it here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was a kid, I never enjoyed birthday parties. I enjoyed attending them for other people, but I would never want them for myself. How many of you were like me? You just didn't like the attention, right? My mom would ask me, Ben, who do you want to invite to your party this year? And I say, no one, mom, don't tell anyone, because I didn't like the attention. And the family would celebrate together, and I would get to choose whatever meal I wanted. Usually I would choose lobster or something like that, because I got good taste. And uh, no friends, no party, just us, just the family. Plus, this was the 80s, and we didn't do crazy parties like they do nowadays. It was just usually a family thing, right? When I turned 27, though, things changed. I had my first birthday party. Yes, all my friends planned a surprise party, and they kept it a secret the whole time. It went like this. My family took me out. That's me when I was a kid. See, I was a little shy kid. It looks like it's in the 60s, but that's in the 80s. I don't know why I have a beanie on, because that's Hawaii. I was four or five years old. Okay, you can go to the next slide. My family took me out to dinner. It was Roy's in Hawaii Kai. It was a big deal. I'm still in this family thing, just me and my family. And I believe we were just going to go there for appetizers, right? And then they said, we're going to go to another restaurant for dinner. And as we drove down Kalaniano Ole Highway, we made a pit stop in Ainahaina at my friend's house. And they said, oh, we have to pick something up. They, they wanted to give you a gift. Come inside, say hi. So I said, okay. Next slide. Lo and behold, everyone I knew was in the house. I was shocked. Surprise! And I was like, ah! Because I hate being the center of attention. I was floored. I wasn't embarrassed. And deep down inside, I felt honored. I felt like I really needed this party. It had been 27 years. I just didn't want to plan it. I wanted to see if people would come for me and celebrate me, and I found out that people cared and wanted to celebrate me. This was good news. But here's the kicker. They had put an open guitar case in the middle of the living room, and it was filled with cards. And I walked to the living room, I saw this guitar case, and it was filled with cards, and I was like, cash, right? I was like, what could this be? Well, it turns out, there were, those cards were filled with money, and the money totaled $1,700. Yes! So what did I do with it? I bought that guitar! I bought a new guitar, so they'd all collected money so that I could purchase the guitar of my dreams, and I did. That is a Gibson J45 custom shop. Only 24 were made in that color. 
They were saying, we love you, Ben. You're very dear to us. We're the friends you can count on. We're your people. And of course, nowadays, I throw my own birthday parties every year because I see how lucrative they can be. <laughs> and by the way, I'm still collecting donations for new guitars each and every year. And you can PayPal me the amount you wish up to $1 million. And that's my PayPal address, venfowler79 at gmail.com. I said PayPal, not Venmo, because I'm old school. I'm Gen X, guys. So here's the warm-up question for today. What do you do to celebrate someone or something important? What's your favorite way to be celebrated or to celebrate? My favorite way is to celebrate with food, maybe a barbecue, friends, or something like that. Yours might be a trip somewhere. Yours might be going to a certain restaurant. But take a few minutes, turn to your neighbor, and share your thoughts. Go for it. We're going to take about two minutes and do that. What's your favorite way to celebrate? Next slide. That's okay. How are we doing? Getting there? Connor, how do you celebrate? Okay, so I asked Connor how he celebrates. He said, my wife does the planning for me. So how do you celebrate him? She took him scuba diving one year, that's good. How about from this side? James, how do you celebrate? You go off? What does that mean? How about someone from this side? Kathy, how do you celebrate? The what? Bungee jump. Jump out. That's going off. That's really going off. Anyone else? Shira, how did you celebrate your engagement? You, you ate food, okay. Yeah, so everyone has a way to celebrate. And today the message is gonna be about celebration. And I know we sang that song, through the calm, through the storm, you never let go, you never let go of me. We praise him through the storm. But there's special times at the end of the storm when God finally comes through for us, it's time for us to truly celebrate him. The title of this message this morning is Getting Help from God, What to Do When It Works. This is the last message, as Antonio said in our series, Getting What You Want from God. Well, what do you do when it works? What do you do when you get what you want from God? Whatever else you might do, you should make it a point to celebrate like a true believer. You need to go off like James. 
Here's what we do. We celebrate. Jesus always took the time to celebrate. If you read the Gospels, think about the prodigal son. Killing the fattened calf, throwing a huge party. My son who is dead is now alive again. Jesus said, this is what the, heaven, the kingdom of God is like. It's like this. It's a celebration. Or the centurion with the great faith who said, just give the word. You don't even have to come to my house to heal him. And Jesus said, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. He celebrated that person in front of everyone else. He took a moment to recognize him. Or think about the woman who broke the alabaster jar of perfume on Jesus' feet. He recognized her sacrifice in front of everyone in the room, right? He celebrated her faith, and he said, ever since I came into this room, she has not stopped crying and anointing my feet with her tears and wiping my feet with her hair. And he said this, which is a crazy gift, wherever the gospel is preached, her story of this moment will be told. And today, all over the world, we read it in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Jesus habitually recognized and celebrated people wherever he went. So what do you do when your long years of praying and staying and enduring the storms are finally over? And what do you do when you witness someone endure a season of trial, make meaningful progress, or remain steady as a rock, long enough to see God come through for them? What do you do when God finally works it out? We celebrate. So when someone gets engaged, we what? When someone turns 40 and becomes a middle-aged man, we what? We celebrate. When someone gets a promotion, we celebrate. When someone creates and executes a major event like the Christmas concert, we Come on. When someone gets out of rehab, we celebrate. When someone gets into rehab, we celebrate. When God does something amazing through us, we when God just does something amazing apart from us, we should? Celebrate. When the intro to this sermon is finally over, we should? Celebrate. Come on, Christians should be the subject matter experts when it comes to celebrating people. We should be the noticers and the rewarders and the bold ones who recognize, who go off to encourage and celebrate the tries of those around us. And especially if God comes through for us, we should memorialize it and give it its proper due by throwing some sort of party, right? Christians should celebrate. So our text for today is 1 Samuel chapter 1. It's the story of Hannah petitioning God desperately for a child and then celebrating God's response by dedicating Samuel to the service of God in a special way. And this story is a years-long battle that ends up and ends with the triumphal birth of a very special son. And I want to invite up Arwen Jackson to take us through it. Will you welcome her up, please? You can, can come I on. use that? Sure. And um, Arwen did a great job this week at Ohana Group. We read a scripture of the week, and I said, wow, what a powerful reading voice. 
much better than mine, so I asked her if she'd be willing to read our passage today. So, our way. All right. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Thank you. I love reading scripture. It's one of my favorite things. Hopefully, it's one of yours. Um, just want to give a little preface for you. The passage we're reading through today, it is the entire chapter. So you're going to have to listen to my voice for, for a good bit here. Um, and it's up on the screen. And I really encourage you to, to lean into this. There's a lot of details in this chapter, some that are never even like, gone back to within the chapter. Um, but follow along with me and kind of just let it roll over you. Look at what God is bringing up to you in the passage and what, what things seem out of place or amazing or, or are nuggets that you never saw before. Um, and thanks for letting me guide you in this. So 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man from Rethaim, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penaniah. Penaniah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penaniah and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, but her lips were moving and her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. He said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? You put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband, Elkanah, went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go, 
She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy Eli, and she, present, and she said to him, sorry, she brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, pardon me, my Lord. As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, and for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Thank you, Arwen. Let's give Arwen a hand for doing that. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. This message this morning is about what we do when we get what we want from God. We do th two things. The first thing we do is we celebrate God. Think of your long-fought battles, the ones that took or are taking years. Think of that in your mind, those hard ones that you've been through. Maybe like Hannah, you've been trying to have a baby, but things haven't worked out yet, right? Maybe God gave you a beautiful son or daughter. Uh, after years of waiting, that could have been your long, hard battle. Or maybe you're still single and you're still waiting for God to come through. Or maybe God provided someone for you at the Christmas concert last year. Maybe, just maybe, you're fighting something like cancer right now. Or maybe you've already fought cancer. Maybe your business had a few years in the red and you're trying to get back into the black. Well, Hannah and her husband had been trying for years. And to exacerbate the situation, her husband had two wives. Think about that, Shira. <laughs> and one of the wives was gloating nonstop. Things were not only not going good, she had someone else reminding her of it every step of the way. And to be honest, if I were to look back on all of the different years-long battles that I've faced in my life, I've probably had three or four of them. And you probably have had maybe a little bit more if you're a little older than me, or maybe a little less if you're a little younger than me. And I'm around the age of the middle age 40 number, just like Pastor Antonio. So I've had about three or four years-long battles. But I have a hard time thinking of a situation in which I've celebrated God in a meaningful way, Him coming through for me after my long, hard battle. Now, I've said thank you, and I've told my friends in Ohana group, and we all gave God a clap offering. You know the clap offering? Let's give God a clap offering. Come on, guys. That's what they always say, you know? Something huge happens, and we go, oh, I'll give him a clap offering, yay! And I did that. But I can't say that I've truly celebrated and memorialized my miracles meaningfully. But I can tell you about what I'm going through now and what I shall do when God finally comes through and answers my prayers. 
Can I share with you my years-long battle that I'm going through right now? Is that okay? I don't have the answers, but I have a story. And here's my story. My dad started showing signs of dementia about 10 years ago. This was very strange because he was only 60 at the time. And his decline was slow, but sure. Each and every year, he weakened until four years ago, the state stepped in and got involved and they asked if I wanted to be his guardian. He moved in with me and we lived together for almost two years. Many of you have met him. Uh, that's him in the middle there. I used to bring him to church. This is him on the screen, but it got to be beyond my means and ability to care for him. And I let him go to another home which didn't have the one-on-one -on -one care he needed. And his decline became rapid until two months ago when he first got lost. They found him in the mountains and two hikers were hiking in the mountains. They heard someone calling for help and it was my dad. And so he was taken to the ER and I had to go to the ER and I picked him up. And he was different. The next time he got lost, it was for three days. And the cops called, called us and, uh, or we called the cops and we told them, we can't find my dad, you know, he's been lost for three days. Well, they found him on the freeway. And they took him to the ER and I had to face my fears because they said, oh, he, he was injured. And I thought, oh no, How, you know. You don't ever want to get that call about anyone that you love. And so I went to the ER and I saw my dad and uh, I said, this can never happen again. So I chose to have him move back in with me temporarily until we find him a long-term situation. But when I brought him home this time around, things had changed. The father had become the son and the son, the father, that's my dad when he was a baby. The son had to feed and change and bathe the father, and I was led into something that will forever mark how I see the role of children and parents and all that entails as we all get older. It's been messy figuratively and literally. I now know the importance of latex gloves and borax. Remember borax? It's from the 50s. And I'm not a perfect son. If he could tell you everything I've said to him, you would know that. But I wanted to share a page out of the Dementia Diaries with you, if that's okay. And uh, here's something that happened the other day. And this is somewhat of a snapshot of what it's like living with my dad. So. I know I'm not supposed to take a nap in the middle of the day because he needs 24-7 care and if I leave him alone for five minutes, he could be messing with something that's not good for him. Like eating a pound of bacon. Raw! Well, it was like three quarters of a pound. And I, you know, I heard some silence and I thought, oh, he's hiding something, right? So I run out there and I look at the bacon and I said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, what? I said, you're eating the bacon. He said, I'm sorry. I said, you can't eat raw bacon. He says, I didn't know. 
Then I said, go to your room. Like I'm like the parent, right? So I march him to his room. I say, just sit down. And I'm thinking he's going to get sick and, you know, die. I don't know. You eat raw pork, you die. So I say, Dad, what's wrong with you? He's like, I didn't know. And I said, I don't care. And then I said, do you know who I am? And he goes this. He says, you're the good guys. And I looked at him. I said, no, I'm not. I'm the bad guys. Now sit here and think about what you've done. And I Google, can you die from eating raw bacon? Turns out you can live, but there's a slim chance you could die. But he's fine. He didn't get sick. And that's what I go through with my dad. But just recently, my father was approved by the state for full-time live-in care with a nurse. Hallelujah. And we're looking to place him in a home in the next couple of weeks. The sooner, the better for him, of course. And we're not out of the woods yet, but I can see the end of the forest, the edge of the forest. And when he gets placed or when he finally stabilizes and when he is safe and secure and life resumes again for us, I shall commence the celebration. My idea is this, a staycation for me and my brothers and their families, maybe in Waikiki, we can longboard and wash away the craziness of the last 10 years. We can't do anything else but surf and eat. And we're going to celebrate Hawaiian style, something meaningful, something worthy of what God does, is going to do for us. So what is your hard-fought battle? And when God does it, what will you do to celebrate? You can think about that now. What is your hard-fought battle? What are you going through right now? Doesn't have to be as extreme as that, or it can be even more extreme. But when God comes through, what will you do to celebrate? Point two, celebrate others. If and when God comes through for you and for many of us, he has come through in huge ways, be the kind of person that celebrates others. Wouldn't it have been great if Hannah's friends threw her a party after all she went through? Or what if they said, I also want to throw in a bull with you. I got a, I got a bull. And, you, you know, 16 bulls, they march down the street like a parade. And, you know, they all give it at Shiloh. What if they said, I've witnessed your faith through the years, and I'm proud of you, and I'm going to stand beside you. It's so much better fighting your battles with people by your side. Isn't that true? Here's a story I heard that illustrates this point well. And uh, this is a story, one of my favorite stories told by Tony Campolo. Some of you remember him. He's from the 90s. Um, he was a, a speaker, a conference speaker. He, he was kind of like uh, Francis Chan, but 25 years ago. Uh, and he would always come to Hawaii, and this is an experience he had while visiting Honolulu. Okay, so I'm going to tell the story, and it really relates to our body, our specific DNA at Blue Water. 
So a sociologist named Tony Campolo from Philadelphia, he's also a sociologist, was visiting Honolulu to give a few lectures at the university. And after a long night of teaching, he was staying in Waikiki. He decided to get a late night snack, and I mean a late night snack in one of those seedy diners on Cohio Avenue, if you remember those. This was some time ago when those diners were on Cohio. It's hard to find them now, but it was 3.30 in the morning. Drinking his coffee and eating his donut, and I know you're thinking, wow, that's really late. Into the room comes about nine prostitutes, and they sat down on either side of him, and he tried to disappear, and one on his immediate right said to her friend, hey, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. And her friend said, so what? Do you want us to sing happy birthday to you? You want a cake? You want us to throw a party for you? Hey, look, hey, look, I'm not expecting anything, she said. I just, why do you got to put me down, you know? And then she said with a crack in her voice, I've never had a birthday party my whole life. I don't expect to have one now. That did it. Campolo was sitting there, and he waited till everyone left. And he said, he called to Harry, the owner of the diner, Harry, do they, do they all come in here every night? Harry said, yeah. Uh, the one next to me, he said, uh, uh, Agnes, said Harry. Yeah, tomorrow's her birthday. What do you say we decorate this place? And when she comes in tomorrow, we have a birthday party for her because I heard her say she's never had a birthday party her whole life. And Harry said, that's brilliant. That's brilliant, Tony. Hey, Jane, he called to his wife. Jane's the one in the back. She did the cooking. He says, he wants, to, uh, he wants to throw a party for Agnes. And I thought, sheesh, wow, this is getting out of control. And, but it's great. And Jane comes out and she, she grabs my hand and she said, you know what, Tony, I got to tell you this. You wouldn't understand because, you know, of what she does. But she's one of the good ones. She's one of the caring ones. She takes care of all the, the you know, the, the people who come to our diner at 3.30 in the morning every single night. Well, Tony said, look, I, I can decorate the place. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. Okay. Well, if you want, you can decorate the place. And then he said, I'll also bring the cake. And then Harry said, no, 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 wait. I'll make the cake. That's my thing. And so he got there at 2.30 the next morning. And Tony had bought the cray paper from Kmart and strung it across the back of the restaurant and made a big sign. And it said, happy birthday, Agnes. The place was awesome. Jane, who does the cooking, got the word out on the street so that by 3.15, every prostitute in town was squeezed into this little diner. We're talking wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes and Tony Campolo, the preacher, and Jane and Harry, of course. Jane, who does the cooking, got the word out on the street. It was packed, and 3.30 in the morning, the door opens, and in comes Agnes and her friends. He got everyone poised, right? Everyone ready. And the minute she walked through the door, we all yelled, Happy birthday, Agnes! And they all start cheering like mad. I've never seen anybody so stunned in my life, said Tony. Her knees buckled. They steadied her and sat her down on a chair. Here, Agnes. And they started singing, Happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Agnes. And when they brought out the cake, she lost it.
and she started to cry. And Harry just stood there with a cake, and then in the silence he said, all right, Agnes, <laughs> knock it off, blow out the candles, blow out the candles, Agnes. And she tried, but she couldn't, so Harry blew out the candles. And then he handed her the knife and said, okay, Agnes, now, now this is when you cut the cake. You cut the cake, Agnes. Hurry up, cut the cake. And so she sat there for a long moment, and then she said to Tony, hey, hey, mister, is it okay uh, if I don't cut the cake? What i really like to do is take the cake home and show it to my mom. He said, well, it's packed and we're all waiting for you, is it? but it's your cake. So she stood up and said, I'm going to go. And he said, do you have to do now? She said, I just live two doors down. Let me take the cake home and I'll bring it right back. So she picked up the cake and pushed through the crowd and out the door. And as the door swung slowly shut, there was this dead silence. And the whole crew was stunned at what was going on. He didn't know what to say. Tony was sitting there, and finally, after a few uneasy moments, he said, what do you say we uh, pray? Can we pray? So all the prostitutes and Jane and Harry all bow their heads to pray. And here it was, a sociologist preacher leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning in a diner in Honolulu. And this is what he prayed. He said, God, would you deliver her from what the filthy men had been doing to her? He said, would you give her back everything that had been taken from her? And when he finished the prayer, he said, amen. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place. And then Harry was right in his face. And Harry says, hey, mister, you told me you were a sociologist you're no sociologist, you're a preacher. I know who you are. What kind of a church do you belong to? And it was one of those moments when the right words just came to somebody, and he said this. He said, I belong to a church that throws birthday party parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. And he said, Harry said, no you don't. No, you don't belong to a church like that. Because if you did, I would go to a church like that. <clears throat> that always gets me every time. And wouldn't we all join a church like that? A church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. That's the kind of church that Jesus came to build. He came to create a church that was filled with people that move out into the world and bring celebration and joy into the lives of those people who have nothing to celebrate. To bring celebration to those who are brokenhearted and beaten down. To lift them up and give them some joy in their life. And maybe when we do that, they'll begin to see how good God is. Amen? That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. Sometimes for some people, making it to 39 is a miracle and needs to be celebrated. Sometimes people need people to remind them of who God is. 
And God is the one who cares, who shows up, who notices, and who comes through for you at the end of your long, years-long, hard-fought battles. And He created us to carry and lift up one another and to celebrate each other's victories. So in conclusion, what do we do when God comes through? We celebrate, we memorialize, and we sacrifice meaningfully, and then we celebrate others. Samuel became one of the greatest judges of the Old Testament. He was the one anointed by David. He was the one who anointed David, the shepherd boy turned king, and out of David's lineage came the Messiah. So out of much pain, out of our trials, came much joy. So let's sacrifice and celebrate like Hannah, and let's be the kind of people who throw birthday parties for anybody who needs one. And when God finally comes through for us, let's celebrate Him well, and then let's celebrate each other. Amen? Amen. I want to invite up uh, Eunice to, to um, play some music, and we're going to pray for a little bit. And as we close, I just want to encourage everybody, why don't we all close our eyes right now, and you can think of the battle that you're facing. And it could even be the battle that you know someone else is facing. And as God begins to remind you that He's good this morning, and that he cares for you, begin to think about what you will do to celebrate when God comes through. Not if God comes through, but when God comes through. We'll wait on the Lord for a couple of moments here. God, many of us today are dealing with different things that we've been walking through and praying for for many, many years. Some of us have come here today that are in the heat of the battle. And some of us today are just at the beginning and we need strength. Will you come, God, and will you come in... Uh, Remind us who you are this morning. You're the God who heals. You're the God who comes through. You're the God who never fails. And so today we just want to say, all of us here in this place, God, that we know that you care for us. We know that you're looking out for us. And we pray, God, that you would come through swiftly That you would come in power, God. And that you'd redeem and turn these situations into miracles and, and things that we can talk about later. Um, Lord, we thank you that you've made everything possible in your name. And so today, God, we take the posture of hope and expectancy and faith as we close this morning. We love you and we thank you. And everyone said,
Amen. Now will you give God a clap offering?